How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Mark Carrig. Also from The Athletic, you are listening to Beyond the Scrum, a show about baseball. Mark, how are you, man? Andy, I am great. How are you? Uh, you know, Mark, I'm okay. It's almost the blow season, amazingly. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it felt fast after a little yeah. bit there. It, like, it sped up That's what happens quickly. when they cut the season into a third, Mark. That's, <laughs> that's kinda, you know what? That's a fair point, Andy. You know how they fair say, point. like, time is a construct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not, I mean, not really. Like, it, no. You know, like the sun no. rises and sets, and so when you have fewer of those than you do normally, then it's shorter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, yes, we are <laughs> amazingly almost at the baseball postseason. The players who will qualify for postseason contention are beginning their pre-postseason quarantine period. Uh, there's going to be. Starting next week, there will be the wild card round, uh, which will assuredly uh, eliminate one of the division winners. So heading into the last week of the season, right? Because we're not going to record again until next Wednesday, which uh, at which point, you know, like some teams might be out. I don't know. It depends on the timing, but whatever. Like, what are you kind of like most interested in seeing this weekend? And what what are you most looking forward to next week? Well, I'm kind of looking at, you know, which of these mediocre National League teams falls backwards into a playoff spot. So that, that'll be fun, right? Yeah. Like, never had more choices of, of teams that are 30 and 30 or you know, 31 and 29 or, or whatever. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm kidding. Like, cause like, I think, you know, you, we can't really tell anything, right? Like, this is a third of a season. Um, yeah. So what we can actually make of these teams is very little. But, um, you know, I think that is like in some perverse way kind of the fun of it. And so when you talk about looking forward to next week, it's like, you, you already said it, man. One of these teams that was a division winner that has looked good for most of these 60 right. games is not going to be playing, you know, three days yeah. after the first game of the postseason. And that is freaking wild. And it's not even, you don't even have to squint to look and see it happening. Like, I'm looking at the standings right now. Milwaukee versus the Dodgers is the 1-8 right now. Um like that's you know I think the Dodgers are a better baseball team obviously than the Brewers are, but are the Brewers a massive pain in the ass potentially? Absolutely. And why like do you that's, say that the Brewers aren't good. What, what they're not, but like I think they can be a you, massive you pain say in the that ass. Like all, you say that like every week. You're like no one wants to play the Brewers. I didn't. Who, no, 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 no. I said how are they going to score points? How are, are they going to score go, well, points? Yeah, right. Like it, it's, you have to score points, right? You do have to score points. I like it when you go old school like that. That's like that old manager thing to say. TC used to say it all the time. Points. Well, well, we're going to put points on the board. Garden Hire used to say that. We gotta, where, where are we going to get the points? You, you are like you have this weird. Okay, whatever. Yes, Craig. I do. I have a, a weird manager. fascination they with have the Brewers. Like Corbin I, I, Burns, who will be good. Yeah, for four you know, innings. four yes, innings of, of Burns, and then like two innings of Devin Williams throwing magic at you, and then Their Hater comes out. I mean. Yeah, like I, I get it. But like as you know, as long as you might be able to pop a homer and they've done that a few times this year, then then okay. whatever. Like I think uh it, we're living in a world in which none of this is an actual test. So like could, could the Milwaukee Brewers be a, a thorn in the side of the Dodgers for 3 games? Yeah. I don't think that's like a crazy okay. leap at all. I, I, okay. you know. So um anyway, like uh, yeah, it's chaos coming. And that, you it know, is. and 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 I think if you can suspend sort of comparing this to any other postseason because it's not right then i think it's fun to sort of see the chaos like i mean we're so distorted as as a sport this year like we didn't you know like i've been talking about awards voting a lot lately 
you know, wrote a column about it yesterday about the Cy mm-hmm. Young in particular in the National League because it's just such a cluster. Mm-hmm. This is what was like when the Federal League was around, when you had three <laughs> major leagues. That's yeah. right. I mean, they don't play each other. Like right. the Western League does not play the Eastern League or the Central League until the postseason. So, like, what's been interesting is that the three leagues have had, you know, kind of their own distinct differences. Right. Right. Like the East, like, it's like, all these lineups that can hit, mm-hmm. and the centrals, all these pitchers that dominate right. those, those those pitching, and then and then the West is like really top heavy. Like the the yeah. top of the Western League is like really good, yeah. whereas the bottom of it is just like cringeworthy. Right. So uh, and you know like I think that that is super interesting to sort of have these three bubbles operating uh, during this season, and then to see them like finally match up against each other. It just adds another layer of yeah. unpredictability, another layer of chaos. And so in this context, like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a, that's a real point when it comes to the award voting. I mean, that it's, it's kind of worthless to try and decide NL and AL this year. I mean, I, you know, you wrote yeah. about how trying to figure out who the Cy Young is, is just like, I, there's no, it's, 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 yeah. I think the Cy Young is harder to vote for than the MVP actually. Um, because I think so much of, the Cy Young, it's really like a referendum on what you like, you know? Like, do you like innings? Do you like strikeouts? You know, do you like, you know, ERA? Do you like FIP? Do you like ERA plus? You know, like, there's, it, it, for some reason, MVP is just easier. It's just like, okay, like, who's got the highest WOBA? Who's got the most war? Like, who's got the most WRC plus? Oh, it's Mike Trout. Okay, well, cool. This is pretty easy this year. Check. Um, yeah. You know, like, yeah, all right, sounds good. With, like, pitching, it's like, you know, because... The metrics are different for B war and F war. Um, you know, like it. I, I don't know. It's it's always harder. And then like trying to pick in a sixty game sample, it's just like impossible. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. Like you know, it, you bring up. It's funny you mention this. Like first of all, like MVP, I think is easier for one really important reason. It, of all the awards, it's literally the only one in which the voter gets instruction. And the instruction with MVP, right? If you, I don't know if, when the last time you voted for it was, but like. They literally tell you you got to factor in games played, like showing up and doing yeah. your job counts like a lot, right. right? And and you know and then they have a couple other things in there like I think you know they, they remind you that you can vote for pitching, but like that's the only award in which they give you an actual directive <clears throat> that games played matters, okay? And so with the Cy Young, what and like I like to think that like I you know. With, with analytics and advanced statistics, like I really you know not only enjoy them, I think they're a vital part of the game now, and I think they're super important. I'm not one of these like cranky old men that wants to throw them out because I don't understand them, okay? But I don't, there's no other area in which I see those statistics get mangled and used improperly than when it comes then voting for the Cy Young. Because yeah. like what drives me crazy is when I hear someone go, well, I don't know if his FIP really matches up. Why do you give a shit about his FIP and a Cy Young vote? Because like you're measuring literally what actually happened. Right, right. The, right, the right. Cy Young award is not uh, the the fucking award for best extension candidate. <laughs> the, right, it's not the yeah. award for well, who's most likely to give you a good start today because yeah, the numbers tell useful. you. I mean, I I get what you're saying, and like I can't believe I'm gonna be the one defending defending like advanced metrics now that could because I've like been marketing myself as like the you know the young conservative of baseball for 10 years i guess uh when it comes to you know numbers um but like 
if you know if one guy has a two ERA and one guy has a two point oh five ERA, checking FIP is probably a decent differentiator. No. Yes, I think as a differentiator, certainly, especially, and that's the other thing. Like when I see the debate about these things on like social media, they forget. Yeah. People are parsing out nine really good pitchers. Let's yeah. you know, or five really good pitchers. So it's not like. Oh, what a crime that you're only looking at. The- no, like you're already having to take the scalpel out and like yeah. make some tough yeah, yeah, calls, yeah. right? By right, definition. Right, right. So, right. Um, yeah, like, okay, in that context, I get it. But should it be a primary thing? No. Even strikeouts, okay? Like, strikeouts, like you, yeah, you want that in the bag. And if you're going to bet long term, you better have a guy that's going to miss some bats. But like, I think about this because like a guy like Max Fried with the Braves, I think gets totally screwed in these situations uh-huh. because he's not the strikeout guy. All right. right. He does rely on his defense to get outs for him. But here's the other thing about Max Fried. That team has almost no pitching. They have lost one ball game that he started this year. So uh-huh. like, and, and by the way, he's pitching in the league, right, of the three leagues that are the major leagues this year that have the most offensively above-average clubs. So, like, he's facing tougher lineups and whatever, and, like, he's getting completely overlooked because, you know, his FIP isn't very good, because his strikeouts per nine isn't very good. And, like, it makes me crazy because in this particular context, that stuff, yes, it is important when you're trying to decide who's going to get an extension, but if you're trying to judge, like, who had the best season as a pitcher... I don't know how relevant it is. Even, and I get it, like as a tiebreaker, sure. But like, I, I still don't think that it should be like emphasized at all. Like I just, and it makes me nuts to hear people talk about those things as if they're like an, a, a comparable to ERA. It's not. Yeah, I mean, I think this was something that probably hurt um, someone like CC Sabathia in certain years and that he would go deeper into games and sometimes would give up more runs. And so his ERA would be, maybe a little uh, less tidy than it would be if he just pitched six innings and gave the ball away. You know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think there are, I think a lot of it is, you know, it's, again, it's in the eye of the beholder, you know, like what do you think makes you the best pitcher? Is it going out every fifth day and throwing five or six clean innings um, and then, you know, turning the ball over to your bullpen and then saying, you know, all right, everyone like have a good night. Or is it a guy who goes deeper into games like in this, new world like gets into the seventh inning you know Woo! or something like that you know but like, <laughs> Throw you know, a party. I mean, like guys guys who if you're up you know eight nothing uh and you know you give up a couple runs like whatever like you give up a couple runs in the seventh to get it through so you protect your bullpen like things like that i think that has value but it's also you got to really study it at a granular level and i think that takes time and it's a lot easier to just like look at the war look at the k for nine um, and then, okay, I like this guy, but again, right. it's very hard. Like I, you know, I don't vote for awards anymore. Um, I stopped when I was at the times and I haven't picked it back up since I came here because like, I just, I don't need to give people another reason to yell at me on the internet. Um, <laughs> like I just, I, I do that enough. You know, I, I welcome that enough with like my actual work. I don't really think I need to, you know, like I remember one time I put like, Victor Martinez is like seventh on my MVP ballot when like, I don't know, he probably should have been like fifth or whatever. And like I, someone wrote like, like the most confusing vote on this. Uh, and then I saw the MVP <laughs> was Victor Martinez at seventh. And I was just like that. I, I didn't even remember doing that. Like, you know, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm never like, I just, this is stupid. Like I forget sometimes how people get wrapped up in this. And I remember like last year, uh-huh. dude, my brother went freaking off about Bob uh-huh. Melvin. 
you know, oh, like, yeah. and the manager of the year. <laughs> and like, look, manager of the year. Yeah, yeah, like, he was so pissed. He's like, he went into this screen <laughs> about East Coast media being too yeah. freaking elite. And I'm just like, dude, you realize, like, I'm East Coast media, right? It's like, yeah, F you guys, blah, 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 blah. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, yes, man. I'm calling you, Mark, to tell yeah, you I'm yeah. disappointed in you, my brother. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, yeah. bro, I didn't have yeah. a vote. And like, anyway, uh, but yeah, I forget sometimes how people get wrapped up in it. Like you just said, like seventh, he forgot even doing it. Right. And like yeah. of all the awards, like I think manager of the year is like, I don't want to say throwaway because it's not a throwaway, but I feel like that's the one in which when a writer gets that ballot, like they're oh. not as like on pins and needles as if they're doing the Cy Young this year or the MVP, you know what I mean? Like, it, and it's, it's not the one where you can like go do a bunch of research and digging. Yeah, right. It's just like complete and utter guesswork. Like we shouldn't right. vote for manager of the year. We just really shouldn't. We have right, no and you know what? And that, and that's like, a, I think that's a totally legitimate argument, but yeah. like, so yeah, beyond that though, we do right until they suspend it. We do. And like, man, I forget sometimes our fans get that worked up about it. Then I hear from Frank. Well, but you can't like it's one of those things, right? Where like all of this is kind of like a you know it's like uh, it's like a made up sort of thing, you know, that you're supposed to care that you care about sports, right? Like you know it's 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 something you watch in your in your spare time to you know derive entertainment and excitement, you know, from you know to take your mind off you know what's going on at work or home or whatever, right? So like when you recognize that, and then you recognize that the games matter. You can't say, like, the games matter, but the awards are stupid and the people who care about the awards are stupid and all that sort of stuff. I mean, like, I get into this argument, like, with a lot of people when the Hall of Fame voting comes out because, like, mm -hmm. I just don't I just don't care about the Hall of Fame. Like, I just don't. But, like, I've stopped, like, I had to write about this a couple years ago because, my, like, my paper asked me to. But I'm, like, I don't comment on the Hall of Fame. I don't say, like, here's who I would vote. I, I was given a, you know, I was given a vote this year. I turned it down. Like, I just, it's just not something that is, like, very important to me right but like i'm not gonna go like broadcast that to people and just like try and upset them because it's my opinion you know and it mm -hmm. probably annoys people that someone who has a chance to vote for the hall of fame chooses not to that's my personal choice but i'm also not gonna like flaunt it in your face and try and make you feel stupid for caring about it it's kind of like the same thing with awards like i don't necessarily think that writers should vote for them i think it causes um, you know, subtle conflicts of interest and sometimes more jarring conflicts of interest. Um, there's obviously the famous time when Senator John McCain yelled at our friend Nick Pecoro for not voting for <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt for MVP when he, when Senator John McCain chided Nick on Twitter. Um, oh, that was you great. Know, so like, but I just don't think, I just don't think writers should do it, but I'm not going to like make a big deal every October about it because it's just like, you're just annoying people. Right. You know, it's, it's just like, it's just, I'm just, I don't vote. Like I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, I guess. But if it's important to you, that's great. Like, cool. You know, I like, I like watching poker live streams, you know? And if someone told me like, <laughs> wow, you're a loser. Like, why, why are you watching the deuce to seven triple draw, you know, live stream from the world series of poker from 2018 here in, you know, October of 2020, you're an idiot. I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's probably true, but I like it. So, right. you know, that's all I'm saying. I don't really know where this is going, but that's... I don't either, but that's but... the fun of it. Like, at some point, though, like, I want to get into it in the off-season. Like, we do one of these pods in the off-season when it, when it is, like, awards voting time, because, like, I think that is worth exploring, dude. Like, it's... Yeah. I, I think the you said subtle conflicts of interest. I think they're way more than subtle, actually. Like, yeah. as far as, like, well, the way relationships work. Um, like, I, I don't... 
I have more and more through the years, like looked at it with a more skeptical eye for sure. Like I, yeah. I don't, I, I, and I feel the same way about the hall of fame increasingly too, that it's become, uh, you know, I don't know if we're the best body for that anymore. It's bothersome sometimes when people are like, so you're a baseball writer and you don't create cares in the baseball hall of fame. And I want to be like, that's all I am to you is a baseball writer. <laughs> All I am is a person who covers baseball. No, I'm a human being with interests oh, and thoughts. God. You know, um, I did anyway. not expect it to go that that direction. I must. That's admit. all I am. Is just a baseball <laughs> writer. That's great. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Hey, we got a fun. We got a really great guest uh, lined up. Our our very good friend, uh, the biggest Padres fan we know, and I guess in his spare time, uh, an editor at the New York Times, uh, Jorge Arangare. Uh, we'll be on shortly. We're going to be talking about kind of uh, – Jorge was a sports writer for many, many years uh, at the the Washington Post, the ESPN, the magazine. He was the editor at Vice Sports uh, for several years, and now he's transitioned into uh, news side coverage at the time. So we're going to talk about a little bit about his journey, but also we are going to go in-depth on the Padres, who are the most exciting team in baseball heading into October. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Jorge. So we're here with our guest uh, for this week's episode. This is the furthest beyond the scrum we have ever gone to find a guest. This man has retired from the scrum. Uh, former sports writer, current Metro editor at the New York Times, our friend Jorge Arangare. Jorge, how are you, man? I'm good, guys. How are you? How are you? I mean, it's it's interesting to have been part of the scrum for so many years. And I've gone beyond it even before the podcast started, and now to be brought back into a semi scrum, um, it's it's kind of an. I feel I'm very honored because once you come out of the scrum, I mean, you see what how ridiculous they are. So um, to be invited back into it, it it does feel like a certain bit of like a nostalgia. Jorge, let me tell you how good we are. Let me tell you how good we are, man. All right, we started a podcast called Beyond the Scrum. The year that they banged the scrum. Like, there hasn't been a scrum since March. And, and of course, that's when we start the pod. So, we're, like, not only are we beyond the scrum, we're beyond the ballpark talking to you. And, like, scrums don't even exist. Like, they're done. They're we're, extinct, Yeah, man. it's post-scrum. Where it's the post-scrum period. <laughs> we're post-scrum, Yeah, this man. is a scrum nostalgia podcast. We like to call people on and talk about their favorite times within the scrum. Just remember, let's let's remember some scrums. <laughs> it's definitely definitely many of them have been like watching ball riders like fall asleep during like the pregame scrum, just kind of yeah. doze off in the middle of like a manager session. Those are yeah, the best. just a day, day game in the manager's office, and all of a sudden you hear a little like sort of snort as someone wakes up. Yes, it's definitely happened. happened. It's like one of those road scrums where like everyone has been out on a Saturday night. Past like 2 a.m. And then the next morning, it's like the manager session at nine. Because, you know, if you have a manager that's super strict about those, like, you know, and some are, they will always hold them very way too early. Yeah. I mean, you don't even want to talk about a spring training morning scrum after. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's not good. That's not what you want. That's not what you want. You know, I thought we would actually get into this later. We might as well just do it now since we're kind of talking about it. Like you, you were pretty public about kind of like 
getting out of sports writing a couple years ago, right? Um, and you kind of said you just wanted to do journalism but didn't want to really cover sports was what you'd done for, you know, what, 10 years, 15 years at that point? Um, you know, maybe even 20. I don't, I don't know. You, I, I never know how old you are, even though we've been friends for a long time. <laughs> um, what, but, like, what – can you kind of take us through, like – I don't know if it's disillusionment or just sort of how your perspective has changed on what it is that we do and kind of like, and your thoughts on it maybe a little bit now that you've spent several years outside of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for me at the time when I was sort of very public about it, I mean, honestly, there was the intent was twofold, right? It was first to sort of kind of force myself to do that, to mm -hmm. make the change. Cause you know, once you're so public, Listen, no one's going to hold me to it. If I had taken a sports job after that, no one was going to say, but hey, you said you weren't. Um, but for me, it was sort of like moving on personally um, and sort of like ending a chapter of my life and my career. And so for me, it was about partly that, but then also sort of kind of just letting the general journalism world that, hey, I'm, I'm available for non-sports <laughs> jobs. So it was sort of like an advertisement as well. Right. Um, there's one of the things that I found, uh, soon after like mentally I'd made the decision to, to leave sports was that it was hard for people to, to see me as a non-sports person, mm -hmm. um, and to sort of like have the imagination of seeing how my skills as an editor, as a journalist in sports would transfer to the news side. Um, and so it was sort of like okay, I, I'm just going to put it out there so that people know that I don't want to do sports and so I should be considered for other stuff. Um, and it was like, it, it was interesting seeing the reaction to it, you know, and it was, it, I certainly didn't expect to get as much reaction just from, you know, friends and just people who had, who had followed me on social media. Because really, I was just mostly trying to tell employers, hey, I'm available, <laughs> right. please hire me for your non-sports job. Um, and, and, you know, it's sort of like for me, what drove that was not necessarily being disillusioned with sports journalism. I mean, it wasn't really that it was just that I had felt that I had done at that point, everything that I really could in, in that sort of industry. You know, I had been mm -hmm. a writer, I had done a beat, I had been at a magazine. Um, and then I became an editor. I ran a site for a major mm -hmm. media company, which was, you know, Vice, um, so it was just like, I didn't really know what else to do. You know, I'd produced television in sports. Right, right. So it's just like, at that point, I'm like, what else is there? What, what can I really do anymore? And I just kind of wanted a, a different challenge. Um, and, and part of it too, was that once I had been in charge of a website, I sort of really enjoyed this leadership role mm -hmm. and, you know, making big decisions about sort of like a company and a site, running a staff, that was really, really um, attractive to me. And I, and for me, I wanted to build that out as much as I could. Um, and you don't see a lot of newsroom leaders essentially coming from sports, you know, like you don't get, you know, the sports editor at the New York Times doesn't necessarily become the executive editor of the New York Times. Um, and for me, you know, I sort of have those aspirations of being, you know, senior leadership, executive leadership. And so I thought that I would really need that non-sports background to sort of get me in that direction and then just sort of see where, where it went, you know. And it's been two years at the Times. 
Um, and it's been great. You know, I, you know, I'm, I am in charge of a coverage area that's pretty massive at this point. You know, we, you know, I'm in charge of our pandemic coverage in New York City. I'm in charge of, you know, the reopening of New York City and all the challenges of that. I've taken on a responsibility in the school openings, which is, you know, obviously a big thing too. Um, so, you know, just my profile here has grown in two years and it's sort of, reinforced the reason why I made that decision in the first place. And I feel I'm pretty well positioned um, to sort of continue on the path that I had set out uh, back when I kind of left sports. You know, there, I think what's funny about being a sports writer and being in sports media is that we all had a relationship with sports before we got into the profession, obviously. Um, and then you get into the profession and your relationship with sports fundamentally changes. Um, now that you've gotten out of this, what is your relationship with sports right now? Oh, man, honestly, it's the most healthy it's been in a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't have to obsess about what the statistics mean. I don't have to obsess about how do we turn this into a story I can really just watch the games and enjoy it for what they are. It's so funny. I was talking to a friend of mine how, you know, as a sports writer, editor, it would always be like, you know, God, we really need to get these personality driven features or these huge topic stories, you know, up on the site or into the paper because those are really, really important. And for me as a consumer, I'm like, man, I don't read any of those at all. Just give me like <laughs> the transaction articles. Just give me the, you know, just a breakdown of like who's who's doing well. Like I, I, it's funny. I just have steered a little bit away well, that- from, from from being the type of journalist that you know that the stories that I thought as a journalist would be the ones that most consumers would want. Yeah, that's so that's so interesting. <laughs> Well, that's just so interesting because you were not like a, a transaction, you know, like junkie when you were on the beat. You tried to do those like bigger sort of stories. Like what is it about them that doesn't appeal to you? I don't know if it's like right now or just in, in general, I guess. I mean, I think honestly, it's just my time is just not. I don't have a ton of time. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of, you know, like I said, a lot of responsibilities. So I'm like constantly tracking New York news um, and reading some of that coverage. And, and it's just, I just don't necessarily have the time to do, uh, you know, read a 45 minute, 5,000 word story um, about sports. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's rare that I have the, you know, sort of like the mental capacity to be able to to take on something like that at this point, um, Mm -hmm. knowing that I have like a bunch of other responsibilities. So Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is that, but then it's also like, you know, as you guys very well know, I'm a San Diego Padres fan. Um, and for the first time in a long time, the transactions matter for that team. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to know, like, God damn yeah. it, why are they changing the lineup? You know, or like, <laughs> what the hell? Or like, you know, when are they bringing up this third reliever? Because it actually matters at this right. point. Um, these are guys that actually are going to contribute to what is now a playoff team. So, um, it's sort of, you know, like I said, it's been enlightening for me to sort of just be be the opposite of what I wanted every one of our readers when I was sure. a sports journalist to be. 
Yeah, there's always that tension between what what you want to write and what people want to read, I guess, right? And you're like constantly trying to find the middle ground, you know, where it's like a project that like stories that invigorate you as a reporter, but also like readers give a shit about. Um, and so it's, it's just really interesting to, to like, I, I'm curious, like, at a time, you know, in these uncertain times, as they say, uh, inside the scrum, we would never use that sort of trite language here beyond it. But like, you know, like when there's real world stuff happening every day and people, you know, are feeling sort of the weight of living in America right now, you know, in, in an incredibly like tangible level, like, do you think what we should do should just be pure escapism? Like, should like, you know, where do you find like toe the line there, I guess? You know, it was really difficult for me to sort of embrace the return of sports this summer. Mm -hmm. um, having dealt with all the coverage here in the city uh, during the worst of the pandemic, um, which was a really crazy time, I must say. I mean, it was just editing stories that involved mass amount of death and despair. Mm -hmm. um, it sort of, you know, it definitely shook you as a person. Um, there were days when you would just end up just mentally, physically exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when, you know, the conversation about the return of sports happened, it just didn't seem right. It just didn't seem like it was the right decision. It didn't seem like it was safe. Um, and there's definitely been moments where you feel that, you know, when you have a cluster within a team and so for me, even though the, you know, my favorite team was starting to do well, um, it was very difficult for me to sort of even let go of my initial hesitation and sort of embrace the fact that this was happening, that this should be, this should be, you know, enjoyable for me. Um, I've gotten now to the point where I can sort of do that, mm -hmm. to embrace that. And I do think there is some value to the escapism that you can see, uh, you know, read, you know, read an article about how good your team is doing and sort of see that, you know, they're making the playoffs and it's like it feels dumb to feel happy about that. But it it still does feel good to know that, you know, the Padres are in the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it does feel good. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I will watch the games. I will watch mm -hmm. the playoff games. Um, and it will be something that I can, that will take me away from the drudgery of some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, mm -hmm. in, you know, and every day um, in our news meetings, on social media, with your friends and family, some of that sadness it does get mitigated. I mean, I, I will surprise at how much it does make a difference. And I think it is, there is a lot of value to that. And I, and I think when you look at people sort of wanting to still consume sports, it is, it is an, a wanting to grasp at something that feels like normalcy. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a bad thing to have that for people. And I don't necessarily think we should take it away, but I do feel that we do have to, you know, obviously put out the caveats of what all this stuff means uh, mm -hmm. to frame it in the moment of what's happening in the country and in the world and to not lose track of that, but to also not diminish the fact that it does add value to people's lives on an everyday basis. Mm -hmm. Corey, when you get to watch the Padres, what do you like about him? Honestly, the Padres for a long time 
were built on these, even the playoff teams of the aughts were built on these like gritty white guys, which was fine. (laughs) Um, It was fine. But when you have a team that's built around Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, you know, all the other guys that they've brought in, a lot of the prospects are, you know, are Dominican players. There is a swagger that the Padres have that as a fan, I can't remember that ever. You know, even the team, the Gwyn teams, Gwyn was absolutely my favorite player growing up, but he was always, you know, the very sort of like subdued guy. You know, he was the guy that was the loyal team player that sort of played by the rules that did everything the right way, but there was no necessarily huge sort of charisma to him, right? He was just Tony. I mean, you loved him because he was just Tony and dependable. I mean, you love Tatis watching him because you're like, God damn it, this is exciting. You know, this is like exactly how baseball should be played. And this is exactly how it should be enjoyed. And as a fan, there's nothing better. There's nothing better as a fan. And I'm sure you guys have felt this at different times in your lives that that you're the team that you're, you're the team that you follow is the one that everyone starts to hate, <laughs> which is fine with me. I love that. I love that there's, you know, that they have an attitude, um, you know, because always it was always the nice Padres. And even like when they did bad, people felt sorry for them. And it's it's fine that we have a team now in San Diego that is sort of eliciting stronger emotions and indifference. You know, it's it's like an actual people have an opinion <laughs> on the Padres. You either don't like the way they swagger or you do. But it's sort of like they've stopped being a team that you can be indifferent about. And that's sort of for me is is a personality that I've never seen in a San Diego Padres team. Maybe it's different for Andy because you're based out there on the West Coast and San Diego is not very far. But I remember being on the Mets and coming into San Diego for a series and a couple of us on the beat. And I shouldn't admit this, but it's true. This is like three or four years, years ago. We'd play a game, oh, yeah. look at the roster, and be like, hey, have you ever heard of this guy? Yeah, we call it the Padres game. Do you guys do that too? Yeah, we did yeah, it Padres every game. trip in. Yeah, you, like, you, we cover did every up, trip in. you cover up the name on the lineup card, and you just say the uh-huh. last name, and you see if Mark Feinsand can guess who it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. It was Decomo and Wayne. and yeah. like I, Anyway, and, and, and I, was, you know, I, I try to like keep up. Like I always have, but damn, like I was probably hitting like 250 playing that game with those Padres teams. So like to your point, it's like, it's really remarkable to see them go from like the most anonymous baseball team of all time to these guys that you cannot take your eyes off of, which is really cool. And I love that point that Jorge makes there. Like when you are rooting for the team that you know everybody hates. So I grew up an A's fan like at the height of like the 80s like with Canseco and McGuire and you could feel it. Like the other teams couldn't stand them and like the Giants fans in the Bay Area couldn't stand them because they were so much better than the, their guys. Like it was so much fun. So that has to be a cool thing to see that personality come through. Absolutely. I love the fact that there's a center fielder on the Padres that pissed off Kershaw when he went yard <laughs> on him. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that would have never happened with like yeah. a Mark Grutzelanek hitting a home run in the, in the odds. <laughs> you know, like he would have just ran around the bases and that's it. You know, like 
it's just or Mark Loretta, you know, like any of those yeah. guys, Phil Nevin, Klesko, those guys just <laughs> ran around the bases. Um, I just love the fact that they have, you know, like a Jerickson Profar, the eighth guy in the lineup who can, you know, go deep and he will swagger around the bases. It just, it's just an unbelievable experience as a fan with having a team that has so much personality. Um, and the fact that it's being led by a guy in his early 20s. Uh, who sort of yeah. like creates that atmosphere is is remarkable, you know. Even even when Gwyn at his highest, it, you know, he was not necessarily going to be a top two three MVP guy. Um, but you can see that Tatis, you know, should be in the conversation. Is going to be in the conversation um, in the next few years. And I, but this is also part of being a Padres fan, right? I live in fear every day, waking up and thinking about how he's going to leave as a free agent. <laughs> I'm thinking about it now. Every day I still, I wake up today, I see the stats, and I think, my God, we have him for five more years only. Four more years, he's gonna go. It's just the reality. And it's just like, you hope that they can come up with you know an extension. And I think there's just been a huge, obviously the fans love him. He's as marketable as you can get in the game. So you hope that that can happen, but there is nothing in the history of the San Diego Padres that indicates that it will. So, you know, you start to think about, yeah, you know, age 27, he's going to end up being the Red Sox starting shortstop. So, you know, he's going to end <laughs> oh, up no. somewhere, just not in San Diego. But, I, you know, I hope that they can make it happen just as a fan, knowing that it'd be really nice to have him, you know, be sort of a Padre for a long time. Well, the the good news is you may only have four more years with Tatis, but you got five with Crony. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That is important. Uh, a full half decade with Crony. Crony is just a very lovable guy. I mean, he doesn't have the personality <laughs> of Tatis, but you love his versatility. He's he's definitely like a throwback to those Ots Padres, except now he doesn't have to be the face of the franchise. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, you know, he would be the best player on the team in the 2004 team, you know? It's like, <laughs> but now he can just sort of lay back and you can just appreciate his grittiness and his consistency without having to sort of put your entire fandom on him. And he doesn't right. have to handle that pressure. <laughs> he can just right. be crony. Right. There is something useful about having, like, you know, gritty type players. It's just, it's also nice to have, like, uh, a diversity of skill sets, you know, like it, like I've always believed that like lineup construction, all the hitters shouldn't hit the same way. Like it's good to have guys who do different things. It makes the team more interesting, you know, because not everyone's just like, you know, uh, three true outcomes guys or not. Everyone's just like, you know, swinging for contact. Like, I, I think that's what makes baseball teams really, really fascinating is when there's just a blend of basically talent, you know, in different sorts of ways. Absolutely. And I think this is what's different about, you know, if you look at the difference between this year's Padres team as compared to last year's Padres team, mm -hmm. they have a lot of guys who take pitches, which yeah. they didn't before. Um, last year's team was a lot of swing and miss, a lot of swing and contact home runs, but they didn't have guys who worked the count. Um, and I think what you've seen this year is that you have a, a lineup that will make it difficult for a starting pitcher that will sort of wear them down a little bit. It's certainly not going to be, it's certainly not at the level of like some of those Yankees and Red Sox teams mm -hmm. yet, but they're sort of building towards that. And I think uh, you see some of the progression with some of the other hitters. I mean, I think the, 
to me, the one of the biggest sort of surprises has been Will Myers. I mean, you see mm-hmm. a guy who, who you know, a lot of people sort of have been down on. He's, uh, you know, always on, you know, sort of the trade rumor mill. But he's sort of taken and taken it this year and become a different player. I mean, he takes more pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, he's obviously hitting for power. And he can hit sixth. I mean, he doesn't have to right. be the guy that they right. have to depend on anymore. So I think for him, he's not that personality. He doesn't want to be the face of the franchise. And having a guy like Tatis just absolutely become that. And and listen, I think we all forget, but Manny Machado's having an MVP year. Right. You know, mm-hmm. he's as good as anybody in the National League. And his numbers at this point are, are better than Fernando Tatis's. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's... It's it's kind of funny, but he's become a little bit underrated, Machado, and, and sort of like being overshadowed by some of the other, you know, guys on the team, but also you know just other players around the league. I think people forgot about how good he was, and I think it took him that one year to get adjusted, uh, just to being you know like a free agent guy and coming back and being, you know, a guy in a different team. So I think yeah, it's it's been nice to see his sort of resurgence too, and you know. But then again, there's just also this huge caveat, right? I don't know if you guys feel this. It's like, how much do we actually take from the 2020 season and how much that actually <laughs> yeah. means moving forward? I don't, yeah. I don't even know. I mean, it's, you know, we're talking about a sample size of, you know, a third of a season, really. And I don't right. really know if a guy hits over 300 this year, what to think of it for next year. I have no idea. Right. Right. It's yeah. it's mean, worth one thing I want to point out about Manny Machado. He is um one year older than Jake Cronenworth. He's twenty seven. Like, yeah, that's crazy. You know. And like I think his his sort of national reputation took a took a real hit, I think, during his time with the Dodgers, and then he was, you know, relatively underwhelming last year. Um, but the thing about him is like his floor is incredibly high. Like he's never gonna have a season where he's like worth you know, fewer than three wins and his ceiling remains incredibly high as well. So like he's always going to be, you know, really useful. And then there's a chance that he could be, you know, an MVP type like this year. And he's also 27, like he's in his prime. He still has several years where he can do this. It's uh, you know, it was a lot of money, but like, he's a very, very talented baseball player. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there, I don't think anyone in leadership at that team would, would think that they've wasted the money. I mean, I think he's come back, (laughs) <laughs> and and sort of you know had the type of season that people wanted him to have and I you know yeah. and I don't think you can underplay him being sort of the guy that that Tatis can rely on just yeah. as a you know someone on the team who's been through it almost exactly what Tatis is going through now being mm-hmm. a 21 year old who's getting an insane amount of attention nationally and and I think that is helpful I mean you you know, we we come from the world where you can't measure that stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've all written about some of the stuff that you can't measure. But I do think it's helpful for Tatis to have M- Manny Machado in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, so I'm asking Padres fan Jorge here, okay? Um, well, it's really a two-parter. Number one, give me your top three starters in order for the first round. And number two, why do you think the sheriff's been busted down a deputy this season? I I mean, I think I mean, I will answer the second one first. (laughs) Um, I think his fastball command has been off. I mean, he's just he he came in. I mean, uh, as you guys know, pitchers are an insane group of people. They're creatures of insane habits of, you know, just really weird routines. And I think he was probably someone who 
is young enough for that sort of shift of the way the season played out, probably played into his head. Um, you know, and I think some of, you know, what you see in terms of his bravado is a lot of like self-motivating stuff. And I think for a guy that young who has not been through it, uh, if he has a little bit of, of an interruption in that routine, it's going to hurt. You know, it's going to affect him and, he's, and his command has just been off. Um, and also there's, you know, more tape around the league on him. People have seen him a little bit more. And, you know, he's a guy that if you have primarily two pitches, if you're missing fastball command, that's going right. to be a rough go. That's you know, issue, it's not going right. to go well for you. And even last year during his more successful periods, he would give up very long home runs. Um, and so if he misses location, if he's not mixing up his pitches, then it's not going to go great for him. Um, and I will answer now your second, your first question now, uh, second. Um, I think you got to go Lamette, Clevenger, and then Davies. I mean, the yeah. guys, those are the three best guys. I mean, Lamette has been an incredible story. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he's a guy that that always had that stuff. And then even a couple years ago, when you saw him, how much he threw the slider, you knew his arm was going to blow, and it did. And he's come back, and he's better than he was before. I mean, his fastball mm-hmm. is up, upper nineties, which it was not pre-surgery. So he's if you have those kinds of weapons, and the movement is just so crazy that yeah. mm-hmm. if he's been able to even contain some of it. He's an incredibly uncomfortable at bat for people. And so yeah. I don't, I think he's the type of guy that now has gone deeper into games. He's sort of, you know, fully healthy, it looks like. So I think, I think he's earned number one. I mean, I really do. Uh, obviously, Clevenger was the big name acquisition, but I think he slots nicely at number two. I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. it's any slight to him. It's just a testament to how good Lament has been. And I think. Yeah. He's earned it, and and Davies is just a consistent guy that you you would want in number three. You know, he throws strikes, he doesn't blow you away, but it's after you get a guy like Lament and Clevenger, he is a pretty good mix-up guy to bring in at number three. And so, you know, he sort of brings an entirely different arsenal in the first two guys, uh, and just sort of like, you know, sort of picks and picks his spots and is very you know accurate. And so I think he'd be a really good complement to the first two. But, I, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I know the conversation is probably going to be around who's going to be number one, whether it's Clevenger, whether it's Lament. For me, it's got to be Lament. He's earned it. You know, he's yeah. a guy who the, who the staff, the coaching staff knows well now at this point. So you know what you have in him. And, I mean, Clevenger obviously has incredible potential. Uh, but if you can put him at number two, that's insane. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lamette's like a right-handed Patrick Corbin in a way, you know, with like a little bit more velo. Like he's just heavy fastball slider and just kind of runs guys over with that combo. Yeah, it's it's crazy seeing, I mean, the videos of like his, the highlights of his, you know, some of the pitches and the movement. It's mm-hmm. it's crazy to think that he's gotten to a point now where he can, has pretty good control of it. And just guys just swing and miss. I mean, he, they just don't make very good contact against it. So if he's on, I mean, he's as good as anybody on the team. And, you know, you could even say he's as good as anybody in the league at this point. I mean, he's, his numbers are backing that up for sure. Well, he's, I don't know if there's anybody with a more imposing mound presence right now. I mean, like, he looks like a bully out there. And it's become <laughs> more pronounced as the season's gone along. And, like, they trade for Clevenger. And I remember the conversation a month ago was like, well, they've got their number one. And, but I'm with you, Jorge. Like, I mean, Denelson Lamette, 
looks like a number one starter to me. And, and he certainly is carrying himself like it on the mound. And, and you bring up a good point. They know him. That staff knows him. I think it's a, he's a guy you can trust given the results, the stuff, um, and then now the familiarity too. So I, I think that's probably the way they should go. But damn, like I, I don't know if there's how many other teams in baseball have a three that are right there. You know, I mean, I think Cleveland, Cincinnati, like it's a really small group uh, where you can go one to three with the Padres have, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think to me, the interesting, I mean, obviously we talked about this a couple of minutes ago, but I, it's interesting how they will use, um, you know, the sheriff. I mean, whether they are, would be willing to bring him. I mean, he's a two pitch guy. I mean, that could be work out as a bullpen guy, but he has no experience really doing it. Um, so I don't know that they'd want to use him that way, but he, you know, if they, if in the next five, six days, they would feel comfortable trying him out in that role, like he could be an interesting experiment, you know, or he could be a swing guy. I mean, it just, he would be an interesting option if they wanted to push him that way, but you know, they also may not. I mean, he's also had Tommy John. He's also young. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that they'd want to screw with him that way. Uh, but you know, it, it is tantalizing to think that you could bring in a guy that has, you know, that basically can ramp up for three innings. You know, if if you're talking about Paddock's fastball going from 95 to maybe 97, 98, because he's only ramping up for two innings, that's an interesting option. I mean, you know, it's and so like I think he he may be a guy that they look at, but you know, again, maybe not. But uh, to me, he's an intriguing figure in a series. Yeah, with the lack of off days, I, I wonder if you're able to do that in the middle two rounds. But I also like I have I have zero idea how the forward thinking baseball teams are going to like strategize this postseason. Um, like the Rays are going to do some shit that is just going to, you're just going to be like, what the, like, what, what is this? You know? And I, I think there's some, there's honestly, there's some consternation among Dodgers fans that they might do the same thing that they might try and get like too cute by half in some ways. So like, I, I do think there's a value almost. And just like, if you have good players, like letting them play, or it's possible I just watched too much of the nationals in last year's postseason, And I've just decided like, you know, not trying to be innovative is the new innovation. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I would just probably just let Paddock be your four starter. Um, but who, who knows? I, I have no idea how teams are going to strategize. I will say like, you know, Tampa, right? Like you mentioned the Rays and, and you know, they're always willing to do whatever. They haven't used the opener all that much this year. I think it's six times, six or seven times in 50-something games. It's not a lot compared to what they've done in the past. And, you know, I, I, I am it's a great question, though. Like, what, what are teams like that going to do? Because, you know, for instance, Milwaukee makes it. They're still short of starters, right? Oh, my God. So, you know, and Milwaukee can totally make it at this point. And if they did, I, I mean, given... The arms that they have and the manager that they have, you know who's going to like leverage those guys properly. Like they, they all of a sudden become a real pain in the ass to face them, I think. I mean, I think another interesting aspect is going to be, like you said, I mean, the lack of off days. I mean, how are, how are guys going to feel physically? I mean, that's yeah. going to be a test. I mean, and, and that's another conversation, part of the conversation in terms of if you're talking specifically Padres, like Lament, if he's your number one guy, He's coming, you know, he's not that far removed from Tommy John. Right. You're probably not going to send him out on three days. So right. if there's yeah, you a you know, crucial game, you just can't. So yeah. does that maybe push push Clevenger to number one, who maybe you do go three days rest right. with a guy like him in a crucial series because he gives you that option? Because I, I would be very shocked if they would go lament on three days rest. So right. yeah. I, I think that that sort of could swing the conversation to Clevenger number one just because of mm-hmm. that. Is there anything you miss about 
like writing about sports? You know, I, I I'm gonna be honest with you, Andy. I I don't. <laughs> There's nothing I miss. Um, I don't miss some of the contrived storylines we sometimes have to do as sports writers. Yeah. Uh, I don't miss um, sort of like this myth making of certain other people that we sort of have to do. I mean, you know, it's and it's just I I don't miss the sort of these like everybody needs to have a take on something. Mm-hmm. You know, like. It's just kind of funny, you know, like, you know, de Blasio shuts down the schools. I mean, we don't turn to one of our writers in Metro and be like, hey, what's your take on this? You want to right, write your take right, right. on de Blasio closing schools? Right. Or, you know, what's your take on the infection rate hitting 1.5%? Yeah. You know, like, no, there is no, there are no takes. So I, I yeah. kind of, I enjoy that about n- sort of like the news aspect of it. Obviously, news takes are all prevalent on social media. But in terms of like as a news organization, right. we aren't doing many takes. So, <laughs> I, you know, as a journalist, I sort of enjoy not having to play in that. Uh, so I that part I definitely don't miss about sports. But, you know, listen, yeah. I, I do miss the camaraderie of like the group right. of, of writers. I think there is this sort of, especially when you're on a beat, there's this sort of like, in it together kind of that you go through, especially when you're on like, you know, a three city road trip that goes like on three different coasts and you're just (laughs) on that last stretch and you're like, my God, this is death. Um, There is sort of that camaraderie that you do miss and sort of like being, and listen, I was lucky enough to be at some amazing events um, Mm -hmm. in my career, you know, like, the Boone home run in 03, the Red Sox comeback in 04. I mean, those will stand out as incredibly memorable for me. And having mm-hmm. been able being able to say that I wrote the game stories for the Washington Post for the 04 ALCS is an absolute career thrill for me. Mm-hmm. And I got to travel while I was at ESPN all around Latin America doing stories and that mm-hmm. stuff you do miss. But I sort of like have moved on too, you know, like personally, professionally, um, I, I get it. I sort of I get a thrill out of, you know, leading coverage. I get a thrill mm-hmm. now out of, you know, being in a leadership role of having reporters come to me and ask me, like, what do you think? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's re- that's really the most fulfilling for me now, rather than just the experiences that I had as a writer. Right. And And the things you're talking about, too, like those jobs, you know, like no longer really exist in a way. Like ESPN, the magazine doesn't exist, literally. Um, You know, and like being a beat writer in 2020 is so different than it was in 2003, 2004. It's like, you know, like I, like you're talking about kind of the the, the take economy. And it's like one of the, one of the things that I think I'm like really bad at as a writer, and unfortunately I have to do like a few times, you know, uh, uh, you know, maybe a month. I don't even know, but it's just like come up with like an argument on something, and it's just like I don't. My opinions, like readers hate them. Like I don't really feel like <laughs> like you know talking about you know what I mean. But it's like you gotta, you know, and like we're I you know not to like toot the own horn of the athletic, but I think we do a pretty decent job of like not like picking the lowest hanging fruit on that sort of stuff, like trying to have elevated takes, but it still is like a, an amount of mental gymnastics that I just don't, I just want to like write stories, I guess, you know, I just yeah, want to like write yeah. stories. I don't want to, I mean, to it's like, just like I said, it's yeah. interesting in our morning meetings, right? I mean, our news meetings, again, something happens 
nobody's none of the editors are asking like hey can we get someone's take on this <laughs> you know, it's like we don't yeah. talk about like well, what do you what is your take on the uptick in hasidic communities can we get someone to write on there what their opinion oh, is oh no um, <laughs> yeah you know oh, it's just no. it just it's just being able to present the information Obviously, yeah. there are things that you have to do in terms of getting some balance, in terms of getting all the, you know, the necessary points of view. Um, but it isn't about what the writer thinks. And I think that that is an especially rewarding part of having left sports for me um, is allowing it to be about the news. And I'm lucky enough to be in an organization where, you know, that 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 is the case. I mean, obviously, there's many where there are a lot of opinions in terms of the news side, obviously we have an opinion section at the newspaper, but that is completely removed from the regular mm -hmm. newsroom. Right. So right, right. Well, Jorge, thank you for coming on. Hopefully, one day you can work for a news organization that has as many subscribers as the Athletic. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to see that your you know your local paper seems to be going well. No, it was so. uh, again. It was an incredibly an honor to be welcomed back into the scrum. And that I wasn't shunned from the scrum once I left it. Um, You're always but... welcome in the scrum and beyond it. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Your appearance is a one for me, Jorge. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Yeah. Thanks again for listening. Uh, if you are not a subscriber at The Athletic, please go to theathletic.com slash beyond the scrum. And you can join now for just $1 a month. I believe if you add that up, that is $12 total. But it starts with $1 a month. Uh, you'll like it. It's a good site. Uh, we'll be back next week.